Amen. You guys can have a seat. If you're here for the first time, we just want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. We hope and pray that this will be a place of just revival for your heart and your soul. Uh, but as we kind of get into our text today, before, before we do that, I just want to say, y'all, last week was so much fun. Amen. I mean, y'all, baptisms are always exciting. Like They never get old, and you throw in barbecue and people that we love and just kind of being blown away by God's kindness to our church over the past three years. It's just a lot of fun. And then not to mention God blowing our God-sized year out of, uh, out of the water, kind of bringing in $91,000 over and above our normal tithes and offerings just in the month of December. I mean, isn't that just silly? You know, when, when, talk, when Paul talks about hilarious generosity in the book of 2 Corinthians, I think that fits the bill. You know, we're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 1 this week, but just for a few minutes here, I want to just give a few more details of this offering uh, and, and kind of God's kindness in it. You know, giving away money, it is just so much fun. You know, we were able to give away $10,000 to a new church plant, uh, which Pastor Tanner, he's going to be coming down here in a few weeks, yeah, to preach for us. And it's going to be so much fun. I love it because six or seven years ago, we used to preach to each other just in a small room with a few people and just totally roast each other um, in love. And so he's going to be down here preaching for us. And if you, don't, if you don't know this, our church is part of a much larger vision that collectively through all of our churches are seeking to plant a thousand churches in a generation, a thousand churches in 50 years. And we are about 70 churches in in about 14 years. And if you, do the if you do the math with exponential growth, we're doing pretty well. And we're well on our way to that goal. But every church multiplying is essential, which includes our church. We at New City, we want to, to plant and start a bunch of churches all around the world. And so then just another thing um, with our offering. We, we get to give away $10,000 to global missions to support missionaries all around the world. And about $1,000 of that will help some of our missionaries in Central Asia with a specific need to help with child care so the parents can continue with language learning and ministry, and it just blesses them immensely. And then we also get to give away money to local organizations here in the Tampa area. We gave $7,500 to a ministry called Young Lives that helps, yeah, praise the Lord, that helps their ministry get off the, round, uh, off the ground, which is a ministry to teen moms. And our, and, our, and our gift helps with things like food and diapers and other essential items uh, that these young moms need. And we're hoping and praying for our church can be very integrally involved with this ministry in the months and years ahead, not just giving money, but they need volunteer leaders and, and people to help serve and pray and just bless these young moms that chose life for their baby. And this is a life-on-life ministry that, was, that we as a church can just come around and bless that is helped le led by one of our own, uh, Konomi Puffer. And so we're, yeah. Yeah, praise the Lord. God has been so kind. Y'all, we also get to give away several thousand dollars to a sandwich ministry at Trinity Cafe um, that seeks to bless and minister to the homeless and the hungry in our community in a very tangible way, uh, which is also being run and operated by one of our own families, the Edner family. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, we, we've served with them over the past several weeks to help them and hope to see that just kind of take off and continue in the months and years ahead. We've also given money away to West Florida Foster Care and the Oasis Pregnancy Care Center. Y'all, it is just so fun being able to bless these ministries that are running hard after what God is calling to that also deeply align with the vision of our church to minister to the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwed mother and the refugee. Yo, we don't do these quarterly serve weeks just to do them, but we do them to springboard our people to explore and find their passion and, and calling to serve our community in a very tangible way. And the next one that we're doing is coming up in the, month of, in the end of March. 
And as we know and say often here, our financial generosity, it fuels this and accelerates this. So not only were we able to give away $35,000 to missions and church planting and global organizations, which is about 10% of our yearly budget, but with the funds that exceeded it, it greatly helps to our church to just pour fuel on the fire of what God is already doing here. Now, I want you guys to know that we think very intentionally and strategically about every single dime that comes in. in. I mean, every, and, and every purpose, like we, in the purpose of every dime of the excess will be used just to further stabilize and multiply our efforts in the months and years ahead. And the reason we, we called this uh, our generosity initiative anchored for the mission was so that God would further anchor us here in Tampa with hopes and dreams that uh, for the next, the next 30 plus years, we will be able to greatly multiply all of our disciple making and church planting and missions mobilizations efforts. And we say often here, we're, we're building a battleship, not a cruise liner. We're building an army, not an audience which greatly influences how we use our resources. You know, our generosity initiative was not just about money that just stopped in December. No, it is an ongoing prayer for our church that we would continue to be further anchored here in the Tampa Bay area. For whatever reason, God has been so kind to our church over the past three years, but New City, we didn't start this church with three years in mind, but 30. We know what God has done in the past three years, but just dream and imagine with me what God could do in the next 30 years. I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to make disciples, we're going to multiply churches, and we're going to mobilize missionaries, and we're going to do it on repeat until we die. Like, that's the plan. Y'all, there are over 3 million people in the Tampa Bay area, 22 million people around the state of Florida, 332 million in the United States, and 8 billion around the world, half of which has never, have never heard the name of Jesus. So I think it's fair to say we have plenty of work to do. Like, we're just getting started. But do you know what is extremely sobering about all of this? Do you know what is essential to all of this that we see from the book of Ephesians and also in Revelations 2? You know, the book of Ephesians was written to churches in the city of Ephesus, and Paul is writing this letter to them that is pointing them to Jesus, essentially saying, look at Jesus, look at what we have in Jesus, cling to Jesus. But again, the sobering part is what we see in Revelations chapter 2. We see that the church at Ephesus, in time, after about 40 years, they took their eyes off of Jesus. They lost their first love, as it says. New City, may we not lose sight of Jesus, not this year or in the next 30 or 40 years. Because as we said last week, what we do for the Lord, it really doesn't matter if Jesus isn't our greatest treasure. And so today we're going to jump back into Ephesians, right in the middle of this one long sentence that is just bursting with praise, like Paul is exuding and exulting with praise and all, blessing the Lord and thanksgiving. And as we saw last week, he started with kind of showing us as he's praising the Lord that we're blessed by God, that before the foundation of the world, for those who call Jesus Lord, Paul said, uh, God knew us and chose us and adopted us as sons and daughters. And it was all done because of his love for us. Like it was all motivated by love. And so if last week was kind of looking back, this week we're still, we're still looking back, but we also start to kind of look ahead. And I want you to remember who Paul is writing to. He's, he's writing to churches that are undergoing intense spiritual warfare in a really in, a difficult cultural climate where people were worshiping a Greek god, Artemis, and uh, where emperor worship was in full force, where people were just crying out, Caesar is Lord. And here is Paul writing to these Christians from his jail cell, exuding with praise and worship of Jesus and encouraging these churches with who they are in Christ. 
He's reminding them of their gospel identity. They're not saying Caesar is Lord. No, they're saying Jesus is Lord. And Paul is just seeking to soak them up with so much of who they are in Christ, just like a sponge, so much so when they get squeezed, Jesus just comes flowing out of them, which is our hope and prayer for us over our series between now and Easter, as we look at these first three chapters in Ephesians. But what we, that we would just kind of soak up like a sponge who we are in Christ. And church, this is just unreal how good it is. Yes, Ephesians, it's a short letter, and we're, gonna, we're going very slow through it, but it's also very dense and just like full of goodness and truth. And we today, we, we need this, just like the churches in Ephesus needed it, because we also need to know and regularly remember who we are in Christ. Because everything around us is shouting and screaming at us and kind of luring us to find our foundational identity in just something else. The world, the world is seeking to lure us away from our first and greatest love. That is Jesus. Yes, this letter it was written to the church, to professing believers who have trusted in Christ. But what I want to say, if you're not a Christian here today, I think this should really intrigue you. Because what we're seeing and talking about is something that does not change. Like This cannot be taken from us, and it comes with a lot of certainty and direction. It's a pathway to eternal peace. And the reason this should intrigue you is because what we're talking about today, it can also be yours just simply by trusting in Jesus. And it's totally free for you. And so today, right in the middle of this one long sentence in the kind of the original language that begins in verse 3 and goes all the way down to verse 14, we're going to read just four more verses of this sentence. And then we're going to get to our main idea and we'll have three points. The first two, we're going to really engage our hearts. And the last point, we're going to step into the deep end again. As we engage our minds with God's plan and purpose, looking at the mystery of God's will. So look starting in verse 7 in Ephesians 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Again, let's remember um, that back in verse 3 that we saw last week, that the purpose of everything we're looking at today is to lead us to worship. And we also saw Paul in verse 3 extends God's timeline for our lives and purpose before the foundation of the world, which is just bizarre because it means that before God ever created the world, God had you and me on his mind. And it came with a plan and a purpose. Not, no, not an easy plan. Not an easy purpose, not a purpose that makes our life easier, but a purpose that was set in motion before the foundation of the world that came with all the riches in the heavenly places. That's what it says. It came with God as our Father and being adopted into His royal family. But that was last week, and in many ways, again, looking backwards in time to before God created the world. And Paul, in our few verses today, again, is kind of bringing us to today and then drawing our eyes out into the future. But in all of this, we're seeing as a, just, we'll see a bunch of things today, but our main idea of what we'll see today is that God has redeemed and forgiven the church for his plan and purposes. That's where we're going. And our points will kind of break all of this down using our text. And again, we've been saying this a lot in this series because this letter is about Jesus for the church. And again, the church is not a building, it's not a service, it's not a program that we attend, but rather it's a people and it's a family that we belong to. In New City, what we're seeing today is so comforting to know that God has a grand and divine plan for us, the church, that started from eternity past and it extends all the way to eternity future. I mean, it's just so comforting to know 
that we as followers of Jesus are part of something that is way bigger than us. Like we're not on some accidental, carefree, aimless train called life that has no purpose or direction. No, we're part of a plan and a purpose that was set forth before the foundation of the world that comes with an incredible ending for those who are in Christ. I mean, just imagine with me, okay? Getting on a train, and you have just no clue where it's going. You're just on a train, and you have no clue the final destination. I think it would be fair to say that you would wonder and just be a little curious of where that train was going. Like maybe some of you might like the adventure of it, but I think most of us would be a nervous wreck wondering, like, where are we going? Is this train going across town? Are we going across the country? Uh, what's going to happen when it stops? Where will we be? Is this like a Holocaust train? Or is it like a Disney World train? Or is it just going like, to take me to work? Is that, is that the train? Like, what's going to happen here? And I think that's how most people feel with life. Like, what train are we on? Where are we going? What's the direction of my life, both now and the next kind of year or so maybe? And then just on a grander scale into eternity. And what followers of Jesus, the people of God, we, we call the church, what we know is God's plan and purpose. We know what train we're on. We know where we're going. And our text today shows us both the beginning and the end and just a few things in between. And church, this is, again, incredibly comforting because as we've already seen, that the train we're on is directed by a loving God that calls us sons and daughters, and it is full of his incredible riches. Again, just think about this. We can, when we can somehow grasp that our life is not an accident, that it's not purposeless, that it's not ruined, it's not pointless, but rather God, from the beginning of time, has set out a divine plan for us that we get to live into, that is incredibly grounding for us. Because Christian, again, our identity, it is not wrapped up in where we come from, who our family is. Our identity is not wrapped up in what we do or our personality or our skills or abilities, relationship status or financial status or social status. No, our identity for those who are in Christ, it was given to us by God before the world ever began and it comes with a plan and a purpose. But do you know what often happens? We often either just kind of lose sight of this or we just settle for something just way less. And please hear me today. Don't settle. Don't settle to let the world define your worth and value. Don't settle for your accomplishments or for your relationship or some sort of supplement to be your foundational source of joy. Don't settle for a plan and a purpose for your life that says that our God is small and that his love and his grace have run out. Because, church, what, what we just read in verses 7 through 10, we see that God's grace and love, it is rich. It never stops. It never ends. The train that we're on with Jesus, it is full of never-ending grace and forgiveness. It is a restoring train. It is a redeeming train. And it's not a train that we just sit and wait for the final destination. No, it's a train that is just full of God's lavishing love. Let's look again at verse 7 and 8 to get to our first point. It says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Church, this is just so good. Again, we're in the middle of a long sentence here. But what we see is that, the redemp that redemption and forgiveness of God, that it is given to us through Jesus, just like we've been saying, 
And it's rich. It's abounding. It never stops. It says it's lavished on us. And so if God's riches and grace, if his redemption and forgiveness is lavished on us, as it says, day after day after day, why in the world would we settle for something that isn't lavished with what Jesus has for us? Church, I pray that we would not settle for anything less than the lavish riches of Christ. And one of these riches that I want to draw out from our text is the richness of redemption for us, the church, which leads us to our first point. Number one, the church is redeemed by Jesus. Like this is one of our riches. And we think about being redeemed in redemption, like it talks about in verse 7, where it says, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then it says down later in the verse that our redemption was given to us according to the riches of his grace, which is lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. Like when we think about this, that we are redeemed by the lavished riches of, of God's grace, this again, this should just leave us in awe and praise. You know, one of the best illustrations and pictures that I think we have of redemption is, is in the Bible. It's in the book of Exodus uh, when this concept was first introduced in the Bible, and it was when God's people were in Egypt. They were in slavery. They were held in bondage under a ruthless leader, an evil re- uh, ruler called Pharaoh, who was working them day and night, just kind of running them into the ground in slavery, terrible slavery. And God saw them and had heard their cry for help, and he came in just showing remarkable power for his love, for his people. And with his might and power, he brought them from the dark side of Egypt that came with slavery and hardship. And God brought them through a string of miracles with the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea, all that we see there in the book of Exodus. And then God redeemed them and brought them into freedom. And just so we're clear... Like redemption, it begins with the idea of bondage or slavery or imprisonment, and then it ends with a purchased freedom. There's some sort of cost for the freedom from the bondage of slavery. And so Paul, when he says we're redeemed through Jesus' blood, he's saying that we were in slavery and bondage to our sin, basically saying like sin was our ruler. And to bring us to today for the Christian like this is a past tense, this is a past tense thing. Like this for us as Christians, this is in the past because we were enslaved to our sin. But because Jesus went to the cross, shed his blood and died and rose again, God then purchased us through the blood of Jesus, with the blood of Jesus. And when we put our faith in Christ, we're redeemed. We've been purchased by God meaning we're no longer slaves but free. Jesus has set us free. That's the gospel. And if you've not put your faith in Christ, you today could also be set free. But Jesus, he's the requirement. Jesus is the way to be set free. This is our good news that we celebrate. But this is where I want us to really kind of grasp this and take this from like a theory idea and bring this down to our everyday life. Because what often happens is that we understand that we're redeemed, that we're no longer slaves, but free. Like maybe we understand the concept of the gospel, but yet when it comes down to real life, we often simply just forget it or we struggle to believe it. And this happens to each of us all the time. Because listen, Christian, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you're no longer a slave to sin. You have been redeemed. Which, mean, which means that sin, it has no power over you. That we can look at our sin and say, sin, you have no power over me. My, like Jesus has set me free. I'm free. 
Yes, sin, it still sometimes shows its ugly head from time to time. But guess what? Our sin and our disobedience, if we are in Christ, it does not define us. Our sin is no longer our identity. It's no longer our ruler. Like, no, because of Jesus Christ, we are set free. And we are called holy, and, and we are called holy sons and daughters of the king. We are no longer called sinner, but saint. And just think about how empowering this is. For the person, maybe just coming out of a long history of hardship and struggles, maybe with substance abuse or addiction or maybe even some sort of just abuse, Jesus Christ, every day, they can wake up and declare over their life, I have been set free. I am holy. I'm a son and daughter of King Jesus. Like there is no addiction or abuse. It's not their idea. Like there's no, like no other identity. No, holy son and daughter is their identity. What good news? Or, or maybe just for the person uh, that just longs to be loved and accepted and has just continually been rejected. And rejection has become their identity. And they're just, and just kind of drowning in it. And Paul here is saying, no. God chose you. God purchased you by the blood of Jesus. And that rejection does not define you because Jesus purchased you for you. And God says, beloved, I have set you free from the approval of people. You're, because you're approved by the God of the universe who purchased you by the blood of his son, Jesus. Church, again, I don't know what struggles you come in with today. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but I know this. If you are in Christ, your struggles do not define you. You're not enslaved to your past sin or your present sin, but rather God purchased you to walk in freedom. God sent Jesus to the cross to bear our burdens, to take them from us, and to set us free. Yes, we wrestle with them in a very real way, but may we not forget that the cross, Jesus, at the cross, Jesus took them off of our backs and he nailed them to his hands and feet to set us free. And then he, and then we just he lavishes us, lavishes us with riches in grace. Like this is the gospel. This is our good news that every single day we get to live into. You know the picture that I kind of have in my mind with this, with God just lavishing His grace and riches upon us, is maybe just the image of us coming to God, kind of down. Maybe just beating ourselves up in shame or sorrow or guilt, things we all experience. And God, he, he just calls us to come to him. Hey, come to my throne. Just come to my castle. Uh, come and just sit. And we come in, we come in with like our dirty, raggedy clothes, with our handful of problems and hardships, maybe just with our heads down and just beating ourselves up. And then Jesus, he looks at our hands, those struggles that, that we hold in our hands. And he simply opens up his hands and says, give them to me. I purchased those. And he simply says, remember again today that you have been redeemed. And then we again get to go into his royal castle. He hands us again fresh new clothes, pampers us and says, just sit and rest. And hour by hour, day by day, he keeps bringing us gifts. They just won't stop coming. Uh, all the best foods and delicacies, just totally lavishing us with his riches. That's kind of the picture that we have in Christ. That's what Jesus wants for our life. And no, not physical blessings. Because we all know we still live in a broken and fallen world where sin and suffering still exist. But yet part of following Jesus is living in the tension, knowing that life is hard, while also knowing we have spiritual blessings ready to be accessed at all times. But yet we often settle and we hold on to those struggles. 
in our hands. Or, or maybe we give them to Jesus, but then we keep trying to take them back. And he just gently just keeps saying to us each day, these are mine now. I've got better for you. Church, we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. May we walk in that freedom because Jesus, he has better for us. But then also out of those same two verses, verses 7 to 8, we also, we're going to see our second point. Let's read it again. Look at verse 7 again. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we're not only redeemed by Jesus, but we're also, number two, the church is forgiven through Jesus. So we're not just redeemed and brought out of slavery and into freedom, released from the power of sin, but we're also forgiven of our sin. Which means God does not look at us and say, come on in, you're free, you have access to my riches, but shame on you, and then hold it over us. No, Jesus set us free, and then our record of sin and transgression, as it says in verse 7, because of the cross and the blood of Jesus, is totally gone. Like, it's cleared, it's forgiven. And this is not a one-time thing, but an everyday reality, an ongoing thing for all of those who are in Christ. Like God's forgiveness and grace, we get it over and over and over again, and it's done out of the riches of His grace. Like God is not just rich with heavenly blessings, as we saw in verse 3, but God is also rich with grace. It never stops. It never ends. And God just continues to lavish it on us day by day. And this is just astounding because today, if you are in Christ, God says to you again, I forgive you. Again. And, not, uh, and once again, you don't have to uh, do anything to earn it. It just keeps being given to us day after day after day. Christian, this is your identity. You're no longer in slavery. You're redeemed. You've been set free. You're no longer guilty. No, you're 100% totally forgiven. We keep falling short in sin, and yet God's grace, it is richer than our sin debt could ever be. It's almost like we have a debt of sin, kind of like a, a, a person has a student loan debt or a car or a house debt, but Jesus, through his blood at the cross, said, I paid your sin debt. Your, de your debt has been totally forgiven. Again, God's grace is richer than our debt forever. This is our identity. Every day, redeemed and forgiven. And again, may we not settle for an identity that says, God is too small to redeem and restore. And that God's grace is too poor and impoverished no, God's grace, it's rich. And his redemption and grace, it comes lavished on us daily over and over again. Continually telling us, I will redeem you. I will pull you out of the pit again. I'm a restoring God. God says to us, because of the cross, my redemption and restoration, it doesn't stop. It's rich. And church, this is the drum that we have been beating for the past three years, and we will continue to beat it over and over again into the next 30 years until Jesus calls us home because redemption and forgiveness and God's rich grace given to us through the blood of Jesus, it is a global remedy for a worldwide need. This is the gospel that never gets old. We never graduate from this. We never move past it. It's the beginning, the middle, and the end of our faith. We need it every day. And Paul is reminding the churches at Ephesus and just trying to soak them up with this, saying, hey, this is your identity. Jesus doesn't give up on you. He never has. He never will. And do you know what it does for people like me and you? It helps us get right back up. Day after day after day, when we get knocked down, it fuels us to endure and press on to what God has called us to then live into, leading us to our last point. Number three, the church is given an eternal plan and purpose. And do you know what is essential to this? Redemption and forgiveness. Our first two points. 
We don't have redemption and forgiveness that is found in Jesus. Uh, this, this plan, it doesn't really matter. Because being redeemed and forgiven by Jesus is what tells us we're on the right train. Like trusting in Jesus is the ticket that gets us on the right train. And just as a heads up, this is where I want to invite you to just stay locked in with me and really think well with me for a few minutes because we could really get into the deep end here and get into a lot of philosophy. And y'all, I would love to do that. I've thought a ton about these things. It could be implied by what we're getting into with these verses and how it gets into the discussion, maybe of even the problem of evil and creation and the garden and the will of God and more of what we talked about last week. And by no means are we skirting past these things, but rather we're going to do, and we're going, what we're going to do is speak to what is clear and just simply uh, just say what the Bible says. And also remember that Paul's intent is not to lead us into philosophical debate that can be a little fuzzy at times that great trusted Bible teachers can easily disagree on. But rather, Paul's intent is to lead us to praise. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to let Paul's praise lead us to praise. Nothing more, nothing less. And so I'm going to reread our four verses again. Because again, it's all one thought that builds on each other. But then we're going to focus on the last two verses. Let's read verses 7 again. 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And this is where we're going to focus the rest of our time, starting in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. New City, this is incredibly rich, but I know it may feel like a lot of flowery, language that we have to really think hard on. And remember, Paul is in the middle of one long run-on sentence of praise. He's just kind of bursting out with praising the Lord. And what Paul just said, to say it another way, is that by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, giving us the forgiveness and redemption that we've been talking about, Jesus, by doing all this, has made known to us the mystery of his will, as it says in verse 9. Like This is the apex, this is the peak point of, of this entire sentence of praise. And so we're going to break this last point, this last point down into two sub-points just to help us stay on track, leading us to 3a, the mystery of God's will. And this seems like a really big, complex thing. Thinking about God's will and his mystery. But guess what? Paul says that this mystery is no longer a mystery, but that we know God's will. That this mystery has been made known through Jesus. And so we have to ask, well, what was the mystery? Well, verse 10 tells us. This is it. This is God's will and plan. God's plan and purpose from eternity past, from the beginning of time to now, into eternity present and into the future, was to make Jesus Christ known. So that Jesus can, as verse 10 says, unite all things in heaven, things in, hev things in heaven, unite all things in Christ, in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the mystery that was made known through Jesus. I'll say it again. That Jesus, is, like, that Jesus will bring everything back together. That Jesus is going to restore everything in heaven and on earth. So God's plan and purpose is for everything to be united through Jesus, in Jesus, and by Jesus. Which means through Christ, through Jesus, unity as a people is possible. And so if you want to know God's will... If you want to know the will of God, it's unity in Jesus. It's restoration through Christ. Let's simplify this, okay? 
just with an example, we can say it this way. God's will for two people who are at odds with each other is to be unified under Jesus. That's the will of God in that, in that specific situation. It means God's will with marriages and friends and teams and families is restoration through Jesus. It's unity in Christ. And so what does God desire to unite through Jesus? Well, Paul says, everything in heaven and on earth. I mean, literally everything. And then in time, when Jesus returns, he will unite and bring together heaven and earth, together. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are ministers of reconciliation. That's what it says, our ministry is. This is just to say it another way, what, with what we're saying now. We're ministers of reconciliation. But the point is, God, from the beginning of time, has been working toward his plan to unite all things in heaven and all things in earth that he created. And ultimately and finally, the plan has been for heaven and earth to come together in unity when Jesus is at the center of it all. And church, that is the day that we long for. When heaven and earth come together, when sickness and death and suffering are no more, when we are living in the fullness of God, that's the final destination of the Christian's train of life. God's will is for Jesus to bring all things back together. And yes, today is hard and toilsome and often painful, but guess what? Because of Jesus, better is on the horizon. I want you all to just think, with, think about something with me, okay? You know, when we look at the picture, when we look at the picture, that we have at the beginning of time in the book of Genesis where we see in the Bible where everything was good. And then the picture that we have at the end with Jesus and a redeemed people who understand the hardship of life, who have a deep understanding of love and passion and zeal and grace and redemption and forgiveness. When we look at these two pictures at the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible, the picture in the end that we have with Jesus with full worship and praise and all, fully seeing everything united under Jesus. This may just be me, and some may disagree on this, but when I look at my Bible, the praise and worship in the end seems to far exceed the praise and worship at the beginning. Yes, the beginning was good, but guess what? In the end, Jesus, our Redeemer, appears to be far much better. That's the hope that we have. That's the mystery of God's will, that Jesus makes everything better. And have I lost you at any point there? This is what Paul's trying to show us, that Jesus, he's worthy of our praise and that he will make all things new and better. And so if God has a plan to unite all things in heaven and on earth and is done through Jesus, if that's the mystery that was made known, then what we also see and know is that we, the church, God's people, we also are given a part to play in this divine plan and purpose. In fact, we, the church, are the means that God has ordained for his plan and purpose to come about. Like, there's a means to the end, and the church is the means. We can say it this way. The church is God's plan to unite the world through Jesus. We are the plan. We are God's plan A. The church is God's plan A to unite the world. And guess what? There is no plan B. That's the plan. We, the church, are the plan to bring Jesus to the world. So try to stay with me here and follow me, because if God has a plan and a purpose that he has made known to us, which is that Jesus is to unite all things in heaven and on earth that he's made known to us, then listen, okay? This is, this, is, this is our job. This is our purpose. Our will is to continue to make Jesus known to the world. It's that simple. And when we stop and think about this, 
It is an incredible honor because God's plan to unite all things in heaven and all things on earth, it's through Jesus and by Jesus, and we, the church, we are God's plan to make Jesus known, which means that we, New City, our, our purpose, God's will for us is to bring pieces of heaven to earth, to bring pieces of heaven like love and joy and kindness and patience and generosity and grace and forgiveness. It goes, from, it goes from God, from heaven to us, and then out to the world. Like that is God's will for our life. Yes, God cares about who we marry and what we do and all of those things. But our primary purpose in life as Christians is to be used by God to make Jesus known. It's to be used by God to see earth become as it is in heaven. To see wherever we are to be more like heaven through our efforts, which includes like having Jesus at the center of all of it. And do you know who we model in this? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus literally left heaven and he brought heaven to earth just by bringing himself to this world. That's what Jesus did. He came from heaven to earth. And so God's will for our life is to be like Jesus, who brought heaven to earth. I mean, Jesus is our model for what it looks like to bring heaven down to earth. And so if you want to figure out what it means to bring pieces of heaven to earth, just look to Jesus. He's our model. And I think we all know that this is not an easy cakewalk mission to bring heaven down to earth. No, it's hard. Like life is toilsome. There is a spiritual war that comes with it because we have an enemy that wants to do everything he can to stop heaven coming down to earth. But guess what? He has no chance. He can't stop it. And why? Because Jesus, he wins. This is already happening. The plan is already in motion. Jesus has already won the war. He won the war at the cross. And because of that, our mission, it comes with power from heaven. It comes with heavenly endurance. But you know what else it comes with? It comes with a cost. I mean, if Jesus left the comfort of heaven and came down to earth and died on the cross and his, as his way to bring heaven down to earth, to unite heaven and earth, as we see in verse 10, I think we can be pretty confident that our ministry of bringing heaven to earth, it will be costly. It will require sacrifice. This is the Christian life. We give up our life for Jesus, but what we do, but when we do that, we gain pieces of heaven. And what is Paul leading us to do with this? We simply just come and just sit at Jesus' feet. We simply go and just sit at heaven's feet. We go to Jesus and we just rest and we delight in Christ. And we let Jesus soak us up with his heavenly blessings like a sponge and then we just carry it to the world. Your marriage, your friendship, your work, your finances, all that you do, New City God, he wants to restore it. He wants to redeem it. He wants to breathe life into it. But first he wants to change us by his lavish grace. So then he can just use us to help change the world through Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I pray that you would take that step today and look to Jesus and live a life that praises him and seeks him above all else. Give your life to Jesus today. And guess what? When you do that, do you know what you gain? Not just a ticket to heaven, but also redemption and freedom and forgiveness. Like That could be yours today. Or maybe you're here and you just have a lot of questions that we say, well, praise the Lord. I'd encourage you to get into a group, talk with us. We'd love to walk this journey with you. But if you are a Christian here today, I want you to just think about this picture. Just, we just end our time. 
I know today we've been talking about this train of life that we get on. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we know that our train, it ends with Jesus, with where heaven and earth unite. In our train, we have uh, freedom and forgiveness. We're given the identity of saint and son and daughter. Like on our train is eternal peace and joy that can't be taken from us. And our last stop in the Christian life, it ends with seeing Jesus face to face. It ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb with people from all over the world worshiping Jesus just in full praise. You know, and this week the Lord has just convicted me personally just thinking about everyone else on that train, just thinking of so many of you that will be at the wedding feast in the end and end with, with me and Jesus just celebrating and worshiping together. But then I just couldn't help but think, like, who isn't on that train right now? And this is not as a means, a way to drive us to guilt, but rather just stop and reflect and pray and beg God that we be used to get them on the right train. You know, as a church, we always, we always run hard in mission. Missional urgency is one of our core values, but just what if over the next 12 weeks between now and Easter, during just this series, our gospel identity series, if we just have a united focus to bring heaven to earth and just seeing lives transformed by Jesus. Let's just ask, what does it look like for us, uh, for you to earnestly work and live in a way that brings Jesus to those around us? Essentially just telling those around us how to get on the right train. To tell them that Jesus is the ticket to the train. You know, maybe God is calling you just to pray for uh, one person, to pray and invest just in one person very intentionally between now and Easter. If that's so, well, who is it? Who's that one person you want to see come to Christ and just maybe get baptized on Easter? You see, just imagine what could happen if over a 12-week period, if about 150 people earnestly pray and just told people about Jesus. You know, we're praying that we see 25 people go through the waters of baptism this year. And what if God just decided to blow that out of the water because we each just invested and prayed for just one? New City, we have something incredible to offer to the world with freedom and forgiveness that's found in Jesus. We have an incredible uh, gospel identity. We have the opportunity to bring pieces of heaven down to earth by proclaiming Jesus. But again, just imagine with me what God could do when we, the church, just simply do what God calls us to do. Just bringing Jesus to the world. And all this, as we've said today, we've been redeemed and we've forgiven. We've been given a purpose. And it all starts and it all ends with Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, we pray that today we would just be spurred on of, as a means to bring, we've been as being spurred on to bring pieces of heaven down to earth that we would look up to Christ in heaven and that we would see it as our, as, our, as our honor to be able to just bring heaven down to earth. God, we pray for many, many, many people around us to come to Christ. We pray, we pray for reconciliation and relationships. We pray for redemption and restoration. We just pray, for, we pray to see forgiveness. We pray that we would just be overwhelmed by your lavish gracious. God, we ask this and we pray this all in Jesus' name.